And welcome aboard, ladies and gentlemen. This is Nick. And Janelle. And uh, I want to thank you for joining us for another podcast from Beyond the Val, our 51st podcast. And I think maybe I have to quit doing that. It just felt I think like, at some point, <laughs> some point it's just, just, just stop. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> 50 is what I, 50 gets the acknowledgement and the rest of it, eh, forget it. I'll say something when we, when we hit like 100 or something. There we go. Yeah, that, that, there you go. Otherwise, it just sounds weird doing that all the time. Uh, I hope you all are having a wonderful, uh, wonderful week. Um, we did our, uh, we just got back from doing our civic duty uh, from voting. Sorry, and, uh, people, I voted against recreational marijuana. Oh, yeah, she, she, she voted against it. I am so. all on board. For using God's green things in the appropriate manner. Okay. Recreational use of marijuana is not. Is that what it was? <laughs> I thought it was for medical use. No. <laughs> no, they're trying to. That's how sneaky they get with those um, ballot entries. Well, you know, some people ain't going to get their Mary Jane, I guess. Um, so uh, this week... Um, you know, the update on dad is, uh, he's off the ventilator. Thank the Lord. Uh, he's breathing on his own. Um, they are going to be giving him a different type of drug, uh, in order to, um, stabilize his, um, is it his heart and everything? Yeah. So epinephrine is kind of a life-saving drug. You just can't stay on it for lengthy periods of time. That's it. And so they're going to put him on something else so that way they can transfer uh, him down to a place that's actually near where my sister lives. And uh, so that'll be really, really accessible to us um, down in this neck of the woods. So we'll be able to see him and everything. Uh, But my uncle had talked to the doctor today and he asked the doctor, he said, "Um, so are you surprised that he's actually able to breathe on his own right now and and without the ventilator? And the doctor shook his head, yes, like they're they're surprised. So the Lord is definitely working and uh, we're thankful for for God doing what he's doing so far. and uh, we're just trying to give God all the time that he needs and to uh, get dad a little bit closer to us. So that's kind of what we're doing right now. So those of you that are praying, please continue to pray because your prayers are working and we definitely appreciate it. And I know dad definitely appreciates it as well. Um, so today's uh, podcast, we're, we're going to do this. Um, I was trying to think of what I would title this podcast. And I liked your first idea. Almost talking about a hijacked heritage. If I could call it that, it sounds that sounds so drastic, but it's about the only way I could think of it. If I think mm-hmm. of a different way of wording it, um, then I'll title the podcast as such. But um, something that that kind of piqued my interest a little bit. Um, you know, we had the whole uh, thing that went on that went on with James Plank last week, and all that was addressed, and he apologized for his comments and whatever else. Um, but in there, he had really stressed in another area about. Um, your heritage, your Christian heritage. And he had talked about people being third generation, uh, uh, having like three generations of Christians in their family. And some have only one generation in that. Um, you shouldn't uh, feel bad. Satan might try to bring you down and make you feel like you're not special just because you're not a third generation, you know, right. with, with that heritage. And uh, that kind of got us talking a little bit. Um, that There is a very heavy emphasis placed on heritage. And I want to restate something a little bit. Um, in the last podcast, I had said that I don't care what your heritage is or all this blah, 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 blah. What really matters is what God's doctrine is. I th- something along those lines. I want to say that I don't disregard your heritage in a way uh, like saying, 
I don't disregard your parents and your grandparents being Christian people because that obviously plays a part in people being not being saved but being exposed to the gospel. That definitely plays a part. Um, you know, versus somebody who's never heard the gospel. One time I was at a church, and a gentleman came up to the uh, church, and I gave him gave him something, uh, food, or he got water or hot dogs. We had a hot dog sale, something like that. And I uh, asked him, I forget exactly how I worded it, but I asked him if he knew who Jesus was, and he said, who is Jesus? Blew my mind. <laughs> Blew my mind. Um, because you're like, there's really like, because where we're at, it's kind of considered the Bible Belt. You know, mm-hmm. and you think just about everybody knows or has heard of Jesus and and uh, and God and and has a basic understanding of church has probably gone through Sunday school at some point in their life, uh, but there are some that literally have no clue, no clue whatsoever. Um, so those of us that definitely had Christian parents and Christian grandparents were blessed in that we had exposure to that. So God's Holy Spirit could convict us. And we could accept Christ as our personal Savior and repent of our sins and you know, turn our life around. Um, but I do believe that there are those out there who place a very heavy emphasis on their heritage. And the term that's used are the, um, the, uh, the foundation stones, or rather, the, uh, it's, it's the landmarks, rather, the landmarks. There's such an emphasis placed on the landmarks. And um, people will take a lot of pride in their heritage and that they don't want to depart from that heritage. And sometimes that heritage um, gets hijacked. And by that I mean it just doesn't mean, well, that was my parents and my grandparents. But some people start to take personal convictions and kind of shove it into that heritage. And why would you leave that? Why would you turn your back on that? And it's like, shame on you for doing that, yada, yada, yada. Um, when it, it's something that should obviously mean so much to you. And, uh, you know, your parents believed in it, your grandparents believed in it, and it's good enough for you. You, you should believe in it as well. So I want to kind of go in today a little bit looking at that heritage and looking at those landmarks and um, try to get a better understanding of what they truly are and what kind of, and it's sad, but what has happened in recent years um, to these things and how they're kind of and, and manipulated in a way to kind of incorporate things that they really shouldn't. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and, and, and kind of start here. There's going to be one person we're going to reference, and I'm actually going to play some audio clips uh, from from several, well, two, two different ministers. Um, and the first one, we're, those of us that grew up in the conservative holiness movement are probably very familiar with Judy Williams. <laughs> and... Uh, Judy Williams was a, um, she was, she was pretty well, well, would you say she's fairly well known? Oh, she's very well known. Very well known. And where this sermon comes from, um, it's actually, um, I think it's called My Father's God is My God. And, and the person that posted this on YouTube um, has this listed as Stoneboro Camp in 96. I don't know about that because the uh, other sermon that I'm going to be referencing is uh, from Mount Camp Gilead, and D- Brother Downing is mentioned to be there, and Sister Williams is, and I would kind of think that, sure, she probably went other places as well, but I would kind of lean towards Camp Gilead being the location for this sermon as well. 
Um, but I want to kind of cover her text is Exodus chapter 15, verse 2. It says, the Lord is my strength uh, and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will prepare an inhabitation. And then this is her quote, and she really stresses this. My father's God and I will exalt him. And she stresses all that our fathers have given us, the inheritance that we enjoy as Christians, or as Americans, rather. She, she compares, she starts out talking about the United States. Um, and the, the inheritance that we enjoy as Americans based on the past accomplishments of our fathers. And she turns this into a spiritual comparison. And uh, all the many saints have been killed for this spiritual heritage. And she says, there's contempt for the past and contempt for the church. There's disdain for our fathers and disdain for our God. But she says, he was my father's God and I will make him my God. And that's what she says. And she references some um, names that she tosses out there. She says, John Bunyan, uh, Brainerd, Wesley, Fletcher, Charles Finney. Um, and she goes, a couple others. Um, and she says, we cannot turn our backs, and this might be a little bit of an abbreviation of what I had, we cannot turn our backs on the heritage they've given us. We make their God our God. I don't want to betray men like that. Um, and then she mentions that current generations are reaching out for their standards and their cardinal truths, and they are reaching out for a strong church. Uh, but she wonders what we are leaving them. She wonders what we're giving them, and if we are giving them a little shriveled up faith, and she wonders if the, leaving, if the upcoming generation uh, will be left forgotten standards and cardinal truths that have been drugged into the dust. And it's interesting, though, because you want to try to understand a little bit of what they're meaning behind these cardinal truths and these forgotten standards, okay? And the second sermon is going to deal with a lot of that. But for this point and purpose, what we're doing here with her sermon is to understand these cornerstones, or, cor or rather these landmarks, and the heritage. That's what we're going to do. Um, so we're going to get into the standards later, is she wants us to leave behind a love for this old-fashioned way. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to jump to this... Um, other clip here, and uh, I'm going to start playing this, and um, we will go ahead and start rolling. And I know where this clip is supposed to stop, and I'll stop it when I when it's uh, when I'm supposed to here. Uh, but here we go. Oh, I know you say, but it's just a bunch of, uh, of, of folks who are opinionated. Wait a minute. The Bible warns that we dare not move the landmarks, the ancient landmarks that our fathers set. And when you begin to pick up the landmarks and move them, you're trifling, my friend. As a matter of fact, the Word of God pronounces a curse upon those who move the landmarks. Okay, so... This is our introduction here. She, she gets onto the landmarks. She's talked about, if you listen to the whole sermon, she's really uh, pushed the heritage, the history, um, not turning our backs on it. And she then brings up the landmarks. And she says, we dare not move these landmarks that our fathers set. Uh, when we move the landmarks, we're trifling. She then says, the word of God pronounces a curse upon those uh, who move the landmarks. Okay, so now we're going to move on to the next clip. Uh, which is actually uh, should be about the 1504 uh, mark here. And we'll go ahead and jump onto the next clip here. Landowners and those individuals had landmarks to prove this is my land. They proved, they set up their landmarks to prove ownership. I believe that there are some boundaries that God Almighty sets, and those boundaries can be, I guess you could say, their landmarks. And they prove we're His property. Thank God. It proves we're owned by God. 
God. It's ownership identification. Hallelujah. It's not only that that determine ownership, but I believe that landmarks ensure the inheritance. The landmarks ensure the inheritance. Thanks be to God. God, you can't move in on this property. Thank God. The landmarks are set, and this is our inheritance. Okay. Wrong landmarks. Well, she's kind of, uh, she, she's building a case here uh, on Scripture, based on Scripture here, where she feels uh, that what she's telling everyone is that these landmarks, the landmarks of our heritage, um, if you mess with them, if you try to move them, uh, that she says literally there is a curse placed on you, okay? And uh, so I'm trying to set like the seriousness of what's being said, all right? So that way we kind of have an idea um, for, for, you know, for what, you know, the whole background here. Uh, and I'm going to go on to this next clip. This might be my final clip here of, the, of what she has to say. Here we go. Okay, I feel I could be a traitor to my forefathers to sell it out. And if you think that I want to put some kind of a question mark on it, a questionable substance to it, I'm sorry. I'd like to just be able to lift it up today and hold it high. I'd like to stand on the highest rocks today and have volume enough to tell it to the world. He was my father's God and I make him my God. And the principles and the cardinal truths and the standards and the truth and the gospel that they dare to stand for I choose to stand for it in this generation okay so turning her back on the heritage she says I would feel like I'd be a traitor to my forefathers to sell it out so we hear about the heritage and we hear about the landmarks and we hear that we can't move them unless there's a curse placed on us they prove ownership and that turning our back on the heritage and landmarks would make us a traitor um, and so let's better, so, and I want to really push this. When you hear things like this, make sure you get your Bible and you find out where this comes from, if it's, whether it's there or not. And where we can find a verse for the, the verses that refer to these, one for the curse and one for the landmarks, both referencing roughly the same thing. Uh, is Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 14. It says this, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. Now, moving over to the second verse, which talks about um, the curse. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 17. Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. All right, now, if I take both these verses and I cut them out, and I say, I want you to look at these two verses. This is, in this is in reference to your heritage. If you mess with your heritage, if you try to change your heritage, if you try to turn your back on your heritage, you'll be cursed for it. Well, does the Bible really say that? Well, let's do a little bit of hermeneutics, and let's dive a little bit. And if we look over in Deuteronomy chapter 19, read that chapter. Read the chapter. And you'll find that what it's dealing with is the establishment of cities and rules by people that, that they abide by. If you kill somebody, this is the city that you'll flee to. Um, you know, and, and how to how to live with your neighbors has nothing to do with a spiritual connection with regards to the heritage passed on from the holiness way of living. Nothing of the sort. 
at all. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 27, this has a lot of moral laws that are listed. Don't sleep with your, your, your dad's wife. Don't sleep with your sister. Don't do this. Don't do this. There's a lot of moral laws that are there. Uh, and don't wait in secret for your neighbor. And it talks about killing. I believe it even mentions not, not killing your neighbor and, and all these other different things. And there's a curse placed on people. So they were setting the boundaries for the land they were going to live on. And once they set these boundaries down, they said, look, this is really serious. We're putting these stones down and it's illegal if you move these stones and you'll be cursed. So it'd be no different than if I went outside and I know what kind of land we have and I know what our, our deed says we have. But if I went outside and I took the, uh, the posts of our chain link fence and I moved them a foot over into my neighbor's yard, I'm in legal trouble. Mm -hmm. I want to be in trouble. Has nothing to do with my spiritual heritage. It might mean, I, 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 okay, if I, can, if I can maybe go out on a limb, obviously if I'm doing that, there's something wrong with me. I'm not saved or I'm, I'm being flat out mean for some reason. But it has nothing to do with a curse from God being placed on you because of something to do with your spiritual heritage. This all had to do with the land that was being set aside where people were going to live. And there were laws laid down for the cities, for murder, for morality with, your, with, your, with the spouses and who not to sleep with. It's all in those two chapters. But I really think what happened at some point is there was a preacher, and who it was, no one will know. But someone way back there probably said, you know what, I bet you I can make a little bit of a connection here, and just let me just try to connect this spiritually. And some other people probably heard this and thought, oh, sounds pretty good. I'm going to run with it too. And the next thing you know, you have the steamroller that just takes off, and it will snowball, if you will. And everybody's kind of running with this, like, don't move the landmarks, don't move the landmarks. So it's kind of put up there as a shield if you say or do anything that might be seen as contradictory to the holiness heritage or the holiness way of living. Because if you come against it, you're removing a landmark. If you come against it, there's going to be a curse placed on you. But what these people don't realize is there's absolutely nothing to do with that at all. It's been taken completely out of context. And uh, for those of you that might want to find out for yourself, go read it. It's over in Deuteronomy 19 and Deuteronomy 27. Read the two chapters, and you'll find out this was the establishment of cities and things like that. And I, and I see where somebody was trying to make this work, but work it did not. And it has been used to manipulate people into not, um, let's say, disagreeing with what's already established and not trying to change it for the better. Because if they did... It's being seen as it's being preached as wrong, and you'll be cursed. You know, uh, so um, it's easy to read these two chapters and realize that they've been taken out of context um, when saying you'll be cursed if you move the spiritual landmarks. And I fully understand that there are godly men and women of years gone by who, um, in many ways, um, they are the reason why we have the theology that we have uh, today, and they helped mold our understanding of the Bible in a way. Um, and in some of the ways, we've got problems today as well because of the way they did mold mm -hmm. that theology. Um, but we have to be so careful. Um, and what we have, well, let me rephrase it, but what we have to be careful of is if we allow more than biblical doctrine to become our heritage and our landmarks. If the, her if the landmarks and the heritage is based on sound biblical doctrine, that isn't going to move. The Bible doesn't move. The only thing that has a chance of moving our personal convictions of other people. 
And over time, people have been very upset if you would question those personal convictions because to them, that's the next thing to godliness. And um, if you question those things, um, then, well, there may be a curse placed on you for questioning that. Um, you'll be in trouble for questioning that. Uh, and so I think a lot of people have just over time, adhered to the personal convictions that a minister may have, and then that has given birth to a denomination based on those beliefs mm -hmm. that this pastor or preachers had. Um, so our heritage can become hijacked, and our landmarks can be moved, if you will, depending on what a certain minister thinks or preaches. Because the Bible has landmarks, if we're going to use this analogy, we're going to say the Bible has landmarks that do not move. But man can move landmarks. Because man is fallible. Man can make mistakes. Um, so now we kind of have this understanding of what these landmarks are and what the heritage is that we don't want to turn our back on and what, what has been preached. I want to provide an example here of what happens when that heritage and those landmarks are hijacked. And by that I mean personal convictions are pressed onto them. And um, there's a gentleman here, Archie Atwell Jr. Some of you may be very familiar. My wife's shaking her head. Uh, some of you may be very familiar with this gentleman. Um, I heard the name growing up. I don't think I ever heard him preach. Um, if I did, I don't remember. Uh, I was a lot younger, you know, um, and I don't really remember ever hearing him. Uh, but the sermon that we're going to be covering today is one that he preached, uh, and I believe it is at Camp Gilead. And he mentions at one point Sister Williams, and I'm assuming that's Judy Williams, and he mentions Miller Downing. And um, so to me, those two names fit very well at Camp Gilead. And I don't think it was at Stoneboro, like the uh, video um, suggests that it was. So I want to, uh, this sermon is called Shortcut to Hell. And in this clip, I want you to make note, it's about, we're going to go about almost two minutes, but I want you to listen to what is said, and I want you to listen to the crowd's reaction. I'm going to stress that a couple of times. Uh, let me go ahead and cue it up here. Uh, let's see. All right, here we go. And these women go down to work all decked up, nicer than they ever dress for their own companion. They have to get a pair of shoes for every dress and a pair of holes for every pair of shoes. And they get artificial flowers and put in their hair because they don't have the lily of the valley in their heart. They get little spit curls to cover up the spitfire. I have to pause it right there. You won't find that here. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. That, that, that just tickled me when I heard that. I like, you won't find that here. <laughs> but pay attention to the crowd. I'm going to go ahead and continue. Listen to the crowd through all of this. And we're going to be listening to other clips here. But just, just pay attention here. I'm going to go ahead and pick it back up now. All right, talk about some of the things that people are shouting over. Well, they said, on their way to hell. On something that God talked to them about and God dealt with them about. Well, that's just as much Bible as it says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. 
Amen, Brother Atwell. Amen. Now, this is interesting. <laughs> Amen. Interesting. And yet it's sad. It's sad to think how many of you precious women are going to go to hell. They're shouting right over top of this. And you men, that's supposed to be the head of the house. You're allowing it. And the Bible said, if you can't provide for your own, said you've denied the faith and worse than an infidel. Too henpecked to take your stand. All right, that's the first clip. It looks like you're chewing at the bit here. I think he has an issue with women. There's something going on. Um, I'm not a feminist, but I think he has an issue with the women. Well, he goes on later, and I, I don't think I cover the clip, but he goes on and he talks about uh, women wearing open-toe shoes, um, ties, uh, and several other things. There's, there's a couple more that I'm really going to get on, but did you know? Did you make note of the crowd's reaction on that clip? So noisy. Everyone, uh-huh. very loud, very vocal, and very much in agreement. Now, the reason I'm making note of this, some of the very same things, that are preached here in this sermon. James Plank brought up last week or a couple weeks ago, and everybody loses their minds because he was loud enough. He, well, basically, he was the only one that spoke it out. He spoke it out loud online is what happened. Mm-hmm. But this is a widespread thing. It's not just James Plank. And it didn't just happen. No, this has been going on for a very long time. Those of us that have grown up in the, in, the, in the CHM, we've heard it. Some of you out there, maybe we're not exposed to it necessarily. You're kind of like, yeah, what was said a couple weeks ago was just kind of ridiculous. This has been going on for a very long time. And it wasn't just one or two people that agree with it. A lot of people agree with it. And a lot of people out there still agree with it. He notes that they're on their way to hell. What does he talk about? Having a flyer in your hair. Brazen. Having a, a pair too. of hose with each pair of shoes uh, and whatever else uh, he kind of went on. And then this is what is so, to me, this is where he fails. He puts it up there right alongside adultery. You mean to tell me that a that a flower in your hair, or uh, having a pair of hose for every pair of shoes, as he puts it, is right up there with a moral uh, do not that is listed in scripture. The, a moral sin in scripture. He has put it right up there, side by side. Um, so what my whole point here is kind of showing you. These things that are preached on eventually have become part of that heritage that people cannot turn their back on, that you will be cursed if you move them, if you turn away from them, if you walk away from them. This is all part of it. I'm going to jump on to another clip here. This is... uh, about another, it's under two minutes. So I know this isn't as, lo- as long as the first one, but I want you to listen to this one. And once again, pay attention to the crowd. Here we go. 
He said another thing that they shout over is whenever you preach about beards and mustaches. You fellows with these billy goat whiskers. Some look like they swallowed a mule and left his tail sticking out of their mouth. Oh, sorry, that is funny. Amen. Mule mouth. I guess. Amen. God's people don't want to look like the world. Amen. Amen. Fancy hairdos. I'm, I'm still talking about the men here. The ones that wear hairspray. The sissies. I can, wow. I can find them. I call them porkies. Like a porcupine, you know. Kind of dangerous. All right. So, in this one, we're hitting on facial hair. And uh, we're going on with uh, hairspray. You know, this is something interesting. As a kid, I remember hearing things on beards and whatever else. I know Judy Williams, she preached on the, the misplaced eyebrows. Is that what she called it? Yes. And other people have preached on facial hair. And growing up, I always thought beards were a sin, you know, because that's what we heard. And um, the thing I could not understand is in Scripture, Jesus had a beard. And I never could get past that as a kid. Why was it a sin, but Jesus had a beard? And you know that for a fact because it says that they were trying to torture him. They were trying to pluck it out. Oh, right. I've never understood that. That has actually been. And I don't know why they came with that kind of a thing. I don't know if this was something that was born out of the hippie revolution to where they were like, no, beards are wrong because everybody had beards. I know for a long time in Japan uh, that Japan, even up till now, has been very much rather against beards and facial hair because back in the olden days, uh, a lot of the bandits that would attack them were bearded. And so you didn't want to look like a bandit, so you weren't bearded. That's that's the only thing. <laughs> the bearded bandit. Yeah, the only thing I could come out and say that maybe why they were against it, but then he goes on a hairspray, you know. So, I mean, I think this is just him rather than saying it's based off the hippie revolution and saying all beards are bad or whatever. You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, but he's very much against it. He says, uh, you know, God's people don't want to look like the world. So facial hair, that's of the world. Um, so I guess Jesus was worldly because he had a beard, you know. Uh, but he says that people are sissies who wear the hairspray, and he's talking to the men. And uh, I'm going to go to this next clip here um, that Archie Atwell Jr. uses, and I want you to listen to this right here, and this is probably one of the most ludicrous um, and folks, please don't think that I, I do not want to make fun of this man. He said it. It's out there publicly. It was obviously recorded at a camp meeting. It's been made public. <laughs> I'm not making fun of this. This man said these things. And I do feel we have a God-given um, obligation to address things that are in error of Scripture and um, things that just do not make common sense. God gave us a brain. God gave us the ability to apply that brain. And um, we need to use it and use the Bible and, and use God to allow God to help us to uh, uh, fearfully craft our, our, our spiritual life as we go through uh, the years 
Um, and if we find something that doesn't really work, we need to say something. So I'm gonna jump to this next one here. And I want you to listen to this. And once again, pay attention to the audience. Here we go. Now the third thing, it says they shout over top of whenever preachers preach on people working on Sunday. Especially if you're talking about doctors and nurses. <laughs> Now, some of you don't think the Lord gave me this message, but he did. And he told me I could say anything I could think of in between the lines. Hey, Matt. Sunday workers. And that old compromising heart will just look for all of them. Oh. And you'd be surprised of the preachers that stand up for this. All right. That, if you heard the comments, somebody said, pour it on. Uh-huh. And people are completely behind this. I want to put this into, I want, I want to put this out there that there are things that I do believe people feel are good shouting points. They know certain code words and code phrases to say in a camp meeting to get a reaction. But, yeah, when they you, do. but when you take these things and you apply them to real life and logically and scripturally look at them, they don't hold up. But they sound good, but they don't hold up. I can tell you this, my family was directly impacted because of this sermon. 100%. Because a gentleman who became our pastor at one point at a church we attended was a very, very much a disciple of Archie Atwell Jr. Even to the point where he would mimic his actions in the pulpit, and and I believe even his uh, sermon illustrations. And um, this is what happened. My dad worked at the hospital, and he worked in the lab. He worked in hematology and blood bank and all that stuff. And he did his very best not to work on Sunday, even in a hospital setting. Now, anybody logically would say, well, we got to have a hospital. I mean, you got to have police officers. You got to have your military. You have to have your fire department. I <clears> mean, you have to have your linemen. You have to have. You have to. You know, thank the Lord Israel has their military and they don't quit on the Shabbat and on the Sabbath or else Hamas will run all over them. You know, hey guys, we got to hold back until, the, until their Sabbath day. And man, Saturday evening or Friday evening, we can go after them because the military is on Shabbat. We can just tear them all to pieces. No. Even the Jews realize that on Shabbat, you keep your military standing, you keep your utilities going and all this. But here's, here's what happened. Um, we had a, this pastor, and uh, our previous pastor was uh, Amos Tillis. Amos Tillis, he, Brother Tillis understood what was going on, and he understood the situation, and I never remember him having grief with Dad or anything about it. And then this new pastor came in, and I'm, going, I'm not going to mention his name. And this gentleman came in, became the pastor. He did not, he knew dad worked at the hospital, but he did not know that dad uh, would occasionally, very rarely have to work on Sunday. And I remember when dad uh, was gone one Sunday and this gentleman greeted us at the door and he saw me, my mom, my, my little brother, little sister. And he said, uh, oh, hi. He said, where's uh, brother Lavender? Mom said, well, he's not with us today. He had to, uh, he had to work at the hospital. And that man declared war on us from that very moment. And um, from that moment on, 
all of a sudden dad could not play his trombone on the platform anymore. Dad uh, had to sit with his back to the congregation. Uh, Mom and dad were slowly but surely removed little by little from the song schedule. Um, In one of the sermons, I remember sitting there, you know, you're a kid and you're watching this happen. As a kid, I watched this man make fun of her piano playing in a sermon. Um, He preached against a tie that dad was wearing. He refused to give mom and dad their Sunday school literature. Well, that is just childish. He refused to give. And I know why he was doing this, because he wanted to run us out of the church. And he threw away the food that we donated donated to them. And the last and the final straw for us was when my uncle passed away. And it was a really bad ordeal. And um, there was another family in the church whose relative had died around the same time. And we sent a thank you card to the church, and this other family did as well, because people from the church came to both funerals. And we were very grateful for the support. And um, this pastor got up there, and he took both cards, and he had them up there on the platform. And he took the card from the other family and he opened it up and he he read it and he said you know once again we want to extend our condolences and and our our prayers to the so-and-so family for their loss and he said a few kind words and then he said and as for the lavender family and he chuckled and he said i don't know what happened to their card he said i think i threw it in the trash and he laughed i you know my wife knows and other people do but that did more damage to me as a kid because of an uncle that i love so much and the situation that happened. And in and, and the situation where this pastor could have said something to heal and to unify and to help us as a family, it was take the knife and twist her deeper, praise the Lord. That was what he did. And, uh, you know, you asked me what we're talking about. We're talking about a hijacked heritage. A heritage that doesn't reside on whether you're just saved or sanctified, but it also resides on man's personal convictions because he didn't feel it was right for my dad to work in a hospital, then all bets are off. Let's just destroy that family. Be as nasty as you can be. Be as ungodly as you can be. And you know what the ironic part of this story is? His mother-in-law got sick on a Sunday. And you know what he did? He took her to the hospital. Yeah. It looks good in practice when they get up there and they preach it. And I'm going to tell you something. Does it? These people, to them it does. And the things that were said, and I know Plank said what he said, but he's not the only one. This is widespread. But he got out there and he had to be the spokesperson. He said it publicly. And it, boy, it unpacked everybody's skeletons. Listen, you preach about not going to the, or not having doctors and nurses and hospital personnel work on Sunday, then you better just stay home and have that heart attack and wait until Monday or yeah. midnight on Monday morning but to go. But see, there's no, no one applies their God-given brain. They don't. They don't and think. Would you rather have someone that was a Christian working in the hospital on a Sunday when you might... Be at your lowest, knowing that they pray for every single patient that comes through? I'd love to have a Christian physician, a Christian nurse work on me, a Christian counselor help me. I'd love to have that. And there's some days I'm thankful for the people that were there at the hospital. Dad was really bad off, and we just about lost him. And he was in the ICU on a Sunday. If we stay home, he's dead. But thank the Lord, God gave us common sense to say, you know what? That's definitely an ox in the mire situation or an ox in the ditch. 
There's an awful lot of those, and God leaves us up there for interpretation that is biblically based to where you can, you know, use your common sense and say, you know what? Yeah, you probably need fire department. You probably need police. You probably need your doctors. You probably need your electricians on standby, you know, because there's a lot of older folks, especially in the winter, electric goes out, so people are going to die. Yeah. You need people on standby are able to do that. God understands. He knows. I mean, there were times in the New Testament where he broke Sabbath as well. There were, there, there were, were at least twice that were told where it dealt with food and oh, what Jesus did yeah. in the New Testament, right? And, and that caused well, the, the again use our heads, right? And that caused the Pharisees or whoever was out there to it kind of lose their, their marbles. Yeah, they lose their marbles when he did that. Um, but what I'm talking about is a hijacked heritage, where you take something that is biblically given salvation and the sanctification process and our mature, our maturement as, or how we mature as we walk through faith and we grow in Christ. And then we start to slap other things onto it. And then eventually we've got this great big massive mound of stuff that's hardly able to be identified anymore. And we say, that's your heritage. It's good enough for me and it's good enough for you. And you better take it. And if you turn your back on it, you're a traitor. And if you uh, do anything with it, then you're going to be cursed. Yeah. So we kind of use this and we turn it into a fear tactic to keep people locked in step with this. What was so crazy though, you listen to that and you hear people in that sermon say, preach more of it. Somebody else about the Sunday work, pour it on, pour it on. Preach more of what? Pour on more of what? More personal convictions that sound good to you? Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds good from the pulpit and it might get you a lot of amens, but in logical practice, horribly fails, horribly fails. Um, I have another clip here, uh, and this is, uh, I don't think it's that long here. Let me jump up here and hit this one as well. Here we go now. Amen. He said another thing they're shouting over, and this is for denominations and churches. It says, uh, church groups that condone the adultery and the VCR and the TV. You go around and you talk to them about it, and they say, well, I don't believe in it. I said, uh, where are you paying your tithe at? I'll cut this short mercifully, but he basically talks about, um, you know, you pay, being, trying to be careful where you pay your tithe at and, and not paying it basically to people that believe in those kinds of things. Uh, but once again, notice he takes TV VCRs and he puts it at the same level as adultery. I'm going to say this. I want to be very careful when I say it, but I want to be very blunt with folks out there. This has not changed. It may not be the VCR anymore, but like a couple weeks ago, we heard James Plank say TV. We heard him say short sleeves. Mm-hmm. And we heard him once again say, hey, if somebody goes out behind a platform or comes out of the CHM and preaches in a pulpit that isn't CHM, they're a backslider. That mentality is alive. This mentality is alive and very well. But why everything blew up last week is because all of a sudden it got real public, and it wasn't under the it wasn't wasn't under the covers. 
It wasn't quiet. It wasn't going off in some little obsolete wherever part of town or it wasn't going off in the woods in some little campground or wherever where there's no now with everything that's able to be done with with uh with uh uh with your your social network and everything like that now it's public now it's public and people see this and they go whoa wait a minute this doesn't pass the smell test this is weird this is strange but yeah adultery is on the same level as tv and vcrs Personal convictions are placed at the same level as biblically stated morality. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. When people feel so strongly about personal convictions that the Holy Spirit may have placed on you uniquely, you then take those and put them at the same level of something morally in Scripture, and then you say, if people don't follow that, they're backslid. They're going to hell and everything else that's been uh, been said here. I'm going to move on here. This is our, mercifully, this is our last clip. <laughs> uh, this is not very long. This is about, I think, about 16, 15 seconds. But, this sum, but he sums up everything he said. Now, he says more after this, but everything he's talked to at this point, he sums up. And listen to what he says. Now then. Got to go back to the Bible. Aren't you sorry about that? <laughs> but I've got Bible to back all of this up tonight or I wouldn't be preaching it. Did you hear what he said? I have Bible to back up everything I've been preaching on tonight. And I thought to myself, what? Because I listened to the bulk of this sermon. What are you talking about? There isn't anything to back this up. Mm -mm. There are some things in there he may say that are good. He talks about pastors not leaving debts behind him. I can get behind it. That's, that's great. That's great. He said pastors, and he jumped on the pastors who work a job while preaching. He jumped, on, he jumped down their throat for doing that. He got on the women wearing open-toe shoes, went as far as he said there was a girl wearing shoes that had an open toe or something like that. And he said he prayed and he asked God that she would mess up in her song because of it. Well, that is just stupid. He, he, but he lists all these things, and I think when Brother Plank made his statements a few weeks ago about TV sleeves and young men preaching from pulpits other than the CHM and that they were backslid, it all comes from somewhere. Mm -hmm. It comes from somewhere. And I want to be kind when I say what I have to say because I do believe that the Archie Atwells, the Judy Williams, the Brother Planks, and all these other people, their number one priority was to see people saved. Okay, I don't think anybody can. People could. I mean, there's some uh, people out there who say, well, I don't know about that. They, they, they legit want to see people saved. Okay, that, that, or else they wouldn't be preaching. Just only under their brand. You took my flame away from me. I'm sorry. You took my point from me. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> I believe they want to see souls saved. And in some way, I think it's because they want, to, they want to see it done on their terms, like you said. They want to see souls kept, but on their term. They want to see souls grow. They want to see you grow, but in their on their terms. And Archie Atwell Jr. said that he had scripture to back this up with everything he said. And, and like I said, I'll be as kind as I can be, as I can, when I say this, but no, he doesn't. He does not. When it comes to, uh, uh, you know, you could say, okay, yeah, it's, the Bible says not to work on the Sabbath, but God gave us a brain to apply that in ways to where we go, yeah, 
we kind of have to have this on the Sabbath because if we don't, it could cause somebody to die or it's something to prevent something else from happening. Mm-hmm. I personally have a conviction where I feel that I don't want to go eat out on Sunday because by me doing that, it causes somebody to have to work on the Sunday when maybe they could spend time at church. I'm not going to force that on anybody. I'm not going to, I'm probably not even going to preach on that, but that's just me. That's my personal conviction. Now, I guess I could get out there and make enough racket and try to start a denomination based on that. You know, Please don't. <laughs> but you have shouting points and preaching points that have been repeated from minister to minister, and it's just assumed it's biblical when it isn't. These things aren't biblical. And this is why one day, long ago, after hearing Miller Downing preach, that my mother determined we would do our own research and see what Scripture had to say. And I do want to put this out there, because I know we have students from the various Bible colleges listening. I know we've got, you know, we've got Allegheny, GBS, Hope Sound, Union Bible, and we've got Penview. And this I want to say to those students, challenge your professors and the faculty on these topics. And when I say challenge, I don't mean like get out there and have a riot. That's not what I'm meaning. (laughs) Challenge these people on these topics and press them for biblical answers backed with scripture that is actually applicable to it. Because they will come up with a scripture. If you go to a CHM church, challenge your pastor on these topics and ask for a biblically-backed answer with Scripture that does apply to it, and you look it up yourself. Because if you do not have a scriptural backing to what you believe in, you will fall. Also, listen to the Holy Spirit. Yes. I think it's been easier for some people not to listen to the Holy Spirit, but rather listen to the camp evangelist, and that has become their Holy Spirit. Mm Mm-hmm. I preached at a church one time and I told the kids there, I told them, I said, look, don't trust what I say out of the Bible. You look it up and you see if it's in there and question your parents. I want you to be ready for when you're out in the world. I want you to be on a solid rock foundation, biblically founded, biblically solid. You know, I had a friend of mine who told me that there were lots of things that she didn't understand about the standards and the holiness faith. Well, the way they they did things and everything, you know, TV or whatever else might be out there. And she said, one day she asked her mother, she said, why do we do this and that? And she said, her mom couldn't give her a scriptural reason. She said, well, it's just the way we've always done it. That has become a pat answer. It has. And that is why the questions have come. The questions have come and the questions are continuing to arrive. And when people don't get an answer, there's one of two things that will happen. They'll either go elsewhere to to continue to spiritually grow or they quit the whole thing and they go elsewhere. Right. And they, well, when I say go elsewhere, they just leave the faith. They say, well, the whole thing's a load of hooey. I'm done with it. And they're gone. I don't want that last one. I want people to be able to grow and mature spiritually. As we said last, well, last week, go, go and grow. and grow. Go and grow. A story my mom told me about my grandmother. My grandmother's bread recipe. And I didn't know about this, and I found out about it, and it just kind of cracked me up. But, uh, you know, a staple at our Thanksgivings and Christmas dinners were always, they call it light bread, but it was always grandma's bread and mom would make it. And we had that recipe and we still use it to this day. And mom would use this recipe. I mean, we used it now. It's how long has mom been using that? Probably 30 plus years. Uh, As long as I've been a kid, 
I think when I was little, I think maybe I may remember mom asking grandma for a recipe and, uh, that's how she came to get the recipe. You know, she asked her one day and mom would always use that recipe and the recipe worked out fine. Um, it was a little odd though. Um, because mom started to notice that when compared to other bread recipes, that it looked just kind of strange. There was a couple of things that were off. And mom asked my grandma one day, she said, uh, she said, mom, she said, what's going on with this recipe? She said, I've used it every, you know, every time we've had something, been 30 years, I've used it. And we've, you know, we've had no problems with it, but I noticed that there's some things in it that are kind of odd when you compare it to an actual recipe for bread. And that's what my grandma said. My grandma said, well, she said, I was actually missing some ingredients. So I had to substitute some things instead and leave some things out because it's all I had. She said, it's all I had. And that's what she made her bread with. For 30 years, we were using a bread recipe that worked out fine, but it was missing some ingredients and it had some substitutes that were not really bread. bread it wasn't really in bread. But let me tell you something. Just because you change some of the ingredients to where you then make it more closer to bread doesn't mean that you're committing some kind of a felony or you're committing a sin. Right. You're trying to get it as close to bread as you can. So then mom finds out, oh, so what you meant to have was this and this and this. Yeah, but I just didn't have it. Then mom adds it and it's closer to bread. For 30 years, we were using a recipe that worked out fine, but it was missing the ingredients and it had some substitutes. And over time, there are kids in the CHM and adults as well who will begin to analyze scripture and the things that the ministers are saying. And they start to ask questions as to why do we have beliefs like this? Why don't we think like this? Because scripture actually says this. It's a little different than what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that maybe for some of the old timers, I'll say this. It's all they had and it's all they knew. But let me tell you, just because someone else finds information that sheds light in a different way that is biblical doesn't mean they're backslid because they're going against your old light bread recipe. Right. Where we start to have issues is when the heritage or the old way is hijacked in such a way that you must keep the ingredients the way they had it. Because if you change it, then you're backslid, you're a traitor, or you've lost your way. Right. You know, folks, people want to grow. People aren't happy to just stay status quo. They do want to grow. And that's why we have questions. That's why people, that's why people are going to the various CHM colleges is they're wanting to learn. And the Bible says knowledge will increase in the last days. And we are there. You know, that's why it says when, when the, when the angel talks to Daniel and at the very end, it says seal up the last, the 70th week, seal that up until the end. There's some things that are going to come open as the end approaches. And when we are at the end, these things start to open up. People's knowledge is increasing. The ground is being set for the end. We are in the end times. And the ground is being set for all this. And knowledge is increased. And it's not just technology, but it's how we look at the Bible. And it doesn't mean walking away from God's word or being sacrilegious or, or upending or pulling out the, 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 the landmarks and all that stuff. It means that there are people out there that are going to say, hey, you know what? We've believed this for a long time and you've preached this, but actually scripture says this. So I'm going to do such and such because I feel clear from God on it and the Holy Spirit. And the Bible supports me in that. Anybody's and answers that should everybody else's answer should be hmm. okay. Right. But we don't do that. What we do is instead we say, well, well you're going you're, to you're backslid. You're backslid. You're a traitor. 
you've turned your back on all these people in the past. Just because we have a beard doesn't mean we're going to hell. Just because we have a TV doesn't mean we're going to hell. And you know what? I'm, uh, I'm, I remember uh, something interesting. I'm not trying to beat on James Plank, people. Forgive me. It's just he, he said this. I watched this. It was the IHC, and he was talking about they were building, the, I think at the time they were building Beavertown, or they were renovating it, or I don't know what they were doing. But he said, uh, you know, he didn't really have a problem with a lot of the, the, the choruses and the different things that were in the churches. He said, but uh, he said something like, you'll not find a time whenever uh, we have a projector in Beavertown, blah, 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 blah. And the other day I looked, and they had a kid's worker in there, and guess what they had? They had a projector, and they were projecting his stuff on the wall. And it's like, over time, I think even James Plank, who's the head pastor of that, you know, even he goes, yeah, I get it. That's not wrong. I get it. It's fine. Over time, do you think we'd have ever seen a time when a drum set would have been in the IHC? <laughs> I mean, uh, really? Like 30 years ago, that would have been it. They'd have run you out. They'd have said, no, we're gonna, what do they call it? The jungle beat? No, we're not going to have the jungle beat. You're done. But cooler heads prevail. People that actually look in scripture, they say, you know what? It isn't wrong. Can we have it? There's nothing in scripture against it. And uh, over time, cooler heads should prevail as people dig into scripture and they, they take their gray matter and they apply it to the Bible and they research this and they go, you know what? I don't know why we really were against that. I understand that was the recipe they had back then. But just because we change it up a little bit doesn't mean we are compromisers. But guess what? Everybody has been told over and over and over, and it's been beat into their head that if you start with one thing, you will won't you won't stop. I've heard that, but let me tell you something. For people that say that, they must never have heard of the Holy Spirit, or they override their own Holy Spirit. I don't know. I, I don't understand why they say that. I think they feel like yeah, I have to literally make it as strict and tough as possible because either they give into temptation too easily. Or they just they just can't discern the Holy Spirit. I don't know what the reason is. Uh, yeah, I've heard that before as well. It's you know, if you take off one thing, you'll take it all off. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, but there are people who do have self control, and that's the whole goal of the Holy Spirit is to breed godly self control in people. Because because initially, yeah, we're going to bounce back and forth between those guardrails. Mm -hmm. But at some point, the older we are, and the more we mature in the faith, we start going true down the middle of the road, and we go straight and narrow. And that's the whole point of the Holy Spirit. But people lean too heavily on man to be their Holy Spirit. Exactly. And that's how we get to where we are. That's why we're here. So just because we wear a tie doesn't, doesn't mean we're going to go to hell. Uh, because you attend a different church, as long as a godly church and it's a godly preacher preaching biblical doctrine, does not mean you're a backslider. Does not mean you're a backslider. Doesn't mean you're a lesser believer either. Doesn't mean you're less mature. You know, over time, we discover ingredients that maybe the older generation was not aware of. Just because, And just because we discover different ingredients, it doesn't mean it's not bread. And it might be slightly different with different ingredients, but it's still bread. And one of the faults of the CHM, I think, is that you have many different people who feel you have to subscribe to their own set of convictions. And if you don't, well, you're not welcome. You're not saved, etc. And, and uh, I think this is what's divided the CHM for years. And I sadly, I, I, don't, I don't see that changing. You know, um, unless there's a revival of sorts and people really get back to basics and get back to the Bible. Well, I think that's what we are seeing. It's just not coming in what yeah. the CHM and would I hold as a revival. Yeah, and I think that's kind of another thing is because the, the revival needed in the CHM is a little bit different. 
um, than what we see at Asbury and these other places where it, where those occurred. You know, people flooding the altar. Um, I think if anything, there's more of a spiritual awakening. I think we had said that last time. Um, that there's a spiritual awakening that's taking place within the conservative holiness movement. And, uh, you know, maybe Plank saying what he said was not a mistake. And maybe it was something that God had him say, so that way it would create this bit of a, a tussle uh, to cause people to start digging, mm-hmm. you know, because ob- it's very obvious that that has occurred and is occurring right now. Um, but we have a heritage, honestly, that is hijacked. And we have landmarks that have been moved to where others feel they should be placed rather than where God places them. And if we, it's been preached that if we move them, we are cursed. If we turn our back on them, we're a traitor and we are shamed and we are threatened. Threatened's probably a bit strong. Maybe we are. We're threatened with hell. We, you're, you know, you're right. I'll, I'll keep it. You're right. I'll keep that in there. You're right. And I want you to realize, folks, that as I said in last week's podcast, God is bigger than the conservative holiness movement. And my goal is not to come in here to divide and destroy and to maim other believers or anything like that. I told Janelle, I said, really, I feel like my goal is to, for the people out there that are really curious and really wondering and they're confused because they hear an evangelist come in who preaches a lot of the stuff like what we just heard Archie Atwell preach on. I want to encourage those people that there are biblical answers. you got to go look for them. Find the right people to talk to and start digging and grow. Don't stay where you're at. Go and go grow. Go and grow. And God will bless you. God will lead you. And I'll tell you, it can be intimidating when you set foot out of what you've always known. I've been there, done that. But the Holy Spirit will guide you, lead you, and comfort you, and will take you where you need to go. And um, sometimes you literally have to have the courage to take that take that step of faith, you have to be like courage, Peter. Courage, Camille. Yeah, you have to be like Peter and step out of the boat. You have to step out of the boat and into the into the waves and keep your eye focused on Jesus, and that's what you got to do. So, I, I hope that we were able to kind of cover a little bit of material that might help somebody out there um, looking at our heritage. We do. We all all of us that are Christians, um, you know. We either have people that have prayed for us. Um, it doesn't matter how far back your family goes and it's Christian heritage. Um, you know, some of us are first-time believers and others, we've been raised in Christian families. Um, but just be careful when it comes to that heritage that people do not hijack it and try to chain it down with so many man-made personal convictions. Be careful of that. We don't want to turn something beautiful from God into something that is an absolute burden. Uh, that is, rather than free us from the laws of sin in the world, would actually enslave us to the laws and opinions of man. Um, so anyway, I don't know. Janelle, you got anything else you want to add? Or are we good? I did, but now I forget. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So there's that. Folks, thanks again for tuning in for another podcast of Me on the Bow. Oh, I do. What you, what you got? I do. All right, go for it. Did you know that people are out there are calling you an owl? A what? An owl. I didn't say it right. <laughs> I know that joke. I know that joke. You're trying to get me to say, who? <laughs> yeah, I know that too well. I'm not falling for that. <laughs> I can't right. believe I actually didn't answer it the right way. <laughs> all right, that's all I got. Ah, she tried to get me. You see what I got to live with, folks. You got you to pray for me. 
No, I'm kidding. All right. Thanks a bunch for tuning in, and we'll catch you all next week.